0: This is My Montessori Life, a podcast that holds up a unique lens to contemporary social, cultural, and political issues. Maria Montessori aimed to reform humanity by building a better human being from the start, preparing young children for a life of profound self-determination, empathy, and wisdom, everything to which an advanced civilization should aspire. The podcast's regular hosts are Barbara Isaacs, president of Montessori Europe and one of the world's leading authorities on Montessori, and David Getman, author of the teacher's textbook Basic Montessori and founder of the software firm My Montessori Child, which sponsors this podcast. In this third of three podcasts on the theme of motherhood, Barbara and David are joined by two guests, Sabine Leitner, who trained as a musician in her native Austria, opened a music school and puppet theater for young children in Vienna, and then changed careers, earning an MA in philosophy and another MA in psychosynthesis, which is a form of therapy she now practices in London. And Roxana You, a qualified and experienced Montessori practitioner and mother of baby Theo. To combine the two vocations, she also now runs a Montessori-inspired playgroup for her North London community. Sabine, please could you describe in simple terms what distinguishes psychosynthesis from other forms of therapy?
1: Thank you. Um, I think many things are best illustrated with a story. So I'd like to start with a story, and it's not a long story, um, but it goes as follows. There was a seeker of truth, and after some a long quest, he came. He found out that he has to go to a cave where there's a well that would tell him what the truth is. So he found the cave, he found the well and asked. And the well said to him, go to the next village, go to the village street, the high street, and there you will find it. So the man did as he was told, went to the village, and on the high street there were only three shops. One was selling pieces of metal, another one Pieces of solid wood, and the third one, pieces of string. And he was very disappointed, and he thought, What's that about? So he went back to the well and demanded an explanation, but the well just said, One day you will know. Many years passed, the memory faded of the well in the cave, and one day when the man was walking at night in the moonlight, he was listening to the sounds of beautiful music, played by a girl on a sitar, He was drawn to come closer, and he looked at the fingers playing on the strings, and then he looked at the instrument, and then suddenly he was flooded with joy because he understood, looking at the sitar, that there it was, pieces of wood, pieces of metal, and pieces of string. And if we look at things in isolation, then it doesn't make sense. But if we know how to put them together, then um, all this um, becomes something which allows us to express ourselves. So I think that's in a nutshell psychosynthesis, um, saying that we have already everything that we need, but um, we consist of different parts, often we don't know them, and we have to learn to synthesize the different parts within ourselves and learn how to play them, and then we can express ourselves through them.
2: Uh, that's lovely, Sabine. Thank you for that summary, and also very inspiring picture of how we have to have an integrated life, um, not so analyzed, but more synthesized and more brought together. Um, we want to reflect upon motherhood from a psychosynthesis perspective, um, so I have a question. Does having a happy childhood prepare a woman for motherhood?
1: Um, I think generally, yes, but we are all unique human beings and who knows what is in the depths of our soul. Sometimes we can, without having a good experience, we can really draw something from a deeper side within ourselves and sometimes, yes, um, good or bad experiences can then have an impact on how we are our mothers ourselves. And I was very lucky. I had a very, very nice, um, very good mother, and I would say she was the person who saw me the most. And I think it's very important to be seen in, in your being by your parents.
2: So um, uh, what you're saying is this having a happy childhood could partly mean how your relationship with your mother um, helped to support you in your development and in your adventures in life.
1: Yeah, um, I think this is one of the best gifts we can give to children to have a happy childhood um, because it is obvious that that would set us up well for life but having said that there are really extraordinary cases where people come from dramatic backgrounds and yet have flourished later on in life it is possible and i think we have to really emphasize that healthy part in ourselves that can always find a way
2: so there's um I'm sure you hear about a lot of problems in your profession so um happiness is is not the norm but um it it can be arrived at. So one one issue I hear about is um maternal anxiety particularly after birth um that mothers have this social expectation and their own personal hope that it will be you know nothing but an unbridled joy um from from um from the moment it starts um how how do the women that you've met um deal with maternal anxiety or how do you help them to deal with that kind of a problem
1: yeah first i would like to acknowledge that i think it really is probably more of a problem than ever before and um Mm -hmm everything has two sides. On the one hand, through social media, we can be more connected with each other. We can find maybe additional support groups, which otherwise we wouldn't. But on the other hand, there's much more comparison possible. There is more this idea that we have to be perfect and everything looks like the others do it perfectly and I'm not doing it perfectly. So there's so much pressure and expectation. And also, I would say that um, I think after I grew up, the next generation after me, there is more, more emphasis on perfectness, on perfection, on getting things right. Maybe because we think, okay, we have more access to f- psychology books and we can learn and study and everything. So I don't know, you're completely right. There's a lot of pressure on young mothers. And um, I think there are many things that can help support group, a support network always helps a loving understanding partner helps but often i have seen women who seem to have all that and still suffer from tremendous anxiety um and that i think then goes back maybe to early childhood experiences as well um and um yeah i mean there can be many reasons for that i don't want to just kind of generalize but um it is it is definitely a problem
2: and um i've i've heard that sometimes if there's a a very difficult birth i mean the the birth process doesn't always go swimmingly and um in fact there's a bit of a a kind of a secret around birth and the experience of birth there's a sort of um i think that women themselves um kind of either put it to one side or forget about the trouble that they may have experienced in birth otherwise the human race would come to an end, um but I think that there then I've heard cases where a particularly difficult birth, because it's so shocking and you know people aren't prepared for it, can then start motherhood off on the wrong foot, you know where they mm. it start the stress uh, you know go is there from the birth and then carries through um to the work to being with the child
1: yeah yes um. Birth definitely is, I would almost call it an initiatic experience for women, because it really is something um, not only life-changing, but also very traumatic for the physical body of the mother, but also for the baby. We know that the stages of birth and how they unfold have already an impact on the later development of the child. And I have a case of a mother who was really preparing herself. She wanted to give a natural birth in a birthing pool at home and with a doula and all of that. And then the birth absolutely didn't go the way she planned it. She ended up in hospital. She had to had to have a cesarean in the end. And um, and then there's the sense of failure and what did I do wrong? And the women take it on themselves. Then they think they have done something wrong. And I think the best way is just to surrender to whatever happened and to be grateful that. The child is here healthy now, and to let go of um, yeah sometimes our own expectations how some things should be
2: and and sometimes mothers, I mean, apart from you know serious clinical conditions of um, depression, sometimes mothers just they surprise that they don't automatically feel love for their baby, you know that they they think that this is some kind of um, spell that will, you know, descend on them, and then they will suddenly feel this love. And then they, they might have anxiety about, well, do I love my child enough, or, you know, yeah. So is that is that something you sometimes see as well?
1: Yes, and I think it is very important to support the mother here and um, to take away any sense of guilt um, and just acceptance and trust. I think trust is such an important quality to develop.
2: Um do you think in general motherhood can um cover up or even smother a woman's own personality that in some ways she uses motherhood as an escape from herself or whatever um issues she may be dealing with does that does that happen
1: Yes it is possible um and sometimes <laughs> yeah I don't want to go too much into pathological cases because I think we should focus more on the on the on the normal healthy um, development, but sometimes a child is bound to love you and to be wanted to be loved unconditionally and I think it has happened there are cases in history as well where mothers want to have babies because they want that unconditional love from the baby for themselves and completely unconscious they're not aware of that obviously. And yeah and also I think motherhood any kind of something that is really challenging and takes a lot out of us it will always press our edges it will always press our buttons it will always bring out our own unconscious unresolved issues and so I would say therapy would be a very good help for mothers or becoming mothers
2: yeah you mean in order to address their own um mental uh, well-being and their own yes. readiness if you like yes or, yeah yeah um did um roxana did you did you feel that therapy was a helpful thing to to sort of sort out things in your own mind before you took on this responsibility
3: um my therapy helped more retrospectively um somehow um uh, Sabine was mentioning a lot about one's own feelings coming up and I think that's that's something that happens to me but I think I have had the exercise of becoming aware of them I have also experienced the guilt because my birth didn't go quite as planned and I had the same sort of rose painted uh, um, picture of my natural birth and it went, ended up in an emergency C-section and I didn't get to hold my baby <laughs> just after birth, I had I was lucky that my partner was there, so he had the golden hour for me because I was completely wiped out. And um, the way I dealt with it, it's down the line maybe when he was about three months old, I really grieved the fact that I I did not have that experience because I think if you become aware of your pain and get to grieve it, then maybe the guilt will fade as well because you can always rationalize that you couldn't have done better or that this was ultimately the best thing. But if you don't feel your feelings, I feel like you're bound to kind of get trapped in that endless guilt story. Yeah. And yeah, just to surrender to the transformation that motherhood brings to you is probably something that I have maybe learned in my therapy because I had learned to feel rather than think in certain situations. I think that really helps. And I think it helps in the journey that you have with your own child as well. Because you're not going to feel happy all the time. It's impossible. If you hold yourself up to that standard, it's bound to fail. (laughs) So you're going to feel sad. You're going to feel helpless. You're going to feel all sorts of emotions. So feeling them is better than not.
2: Sabine, um, does that chime with the approach that um, that you're... Uh, therapy is aiming for, not happiness per se, but experiencing your feelings and being able to to live with your feelings. Um, or maybe you can tell us more about what your approach is.
1: Yeah, um, therapy works on different levels. There are also body therapies because the body holds a lot of the emotions. And um, there's also a place within the same therapy where you come more from the mind and yet it is very important to to release the feelings that we have maybe repressed and not acknowledged and only by feeling them we can release them. So yes, in um, a big part of therapy is to help a client to feel the feelings that they didn't feel for some reasons um, when they occurred and so to release them.
2: Yeah. And but how How does therapy relate to happiness <laughs>
1: um again, I think this is one of the scourges of our modern life that we think happiness is just something that we have a right to and we sh- we ought to be happy and I think previous generations didn't think like that um we just dream of this perfect I always call it the coca cola life you know we are eternally young, we are eternally on a party we have the time we want, it's always with friends and having fun. and That, that life doesn't exist. We have created um, very unrealistic ideas in our heads and then we think we have to live up to that. And so I think we have to learn that life contains pain and pleasure equally. <laughs> and we have to be a bit like the Stoics, yeah, um, accept that they're both part of life.
2: Yeah. And um, what's the general approach of psychosynthesis vis-a-vis other, um, other forms of therapy. A- a- as you introduced with your parable, it's about integrate understanding through integration. Um, so what are the components in a mother's life that need integrating most? What are the things that are fragmented, but that she needs help to, to bring together?
1: Yeah. Um, I would also like to talk um, before, maybe I answer the question, or maybe afterwards, you tell me, David, um, about Asajoli, because I think that would be interesting as well. He's the founder of psychosynthesis.
2: That would be great, yeah. Yeah,
1: should we do that now, maybe? Yeah. So, psychosynthesis doesn't have the name of its founder, like Jungian or Freudian. Um, But it goes back to Roberto Assagioli, who was like Maria Montessori, an Italian. Um, He was slightly her junior. He was born in 1888 in Venice and lived most of his life in Florence. And um, he was actually a friend of Maria Montessori, as I have found out yesterday. And um, like her and like C.G. Jung, he was very interested in um, both Eastern and Western philosophy and later he had many friends from rabindranath tagore to inayat khan and um lama govinda and many others and um so he was he had to make a kind of synthesis within himself because as a um doctor and later as a psychiatrist um he was obviously bound to the empirical science and the methodology. And at the same time, he was a mystic who could really experience and, and see and understand um, what both Eastern and Western teachings are saying about the nature of the human being. And it was his lifelong quest to, to bring a kind of empirical study of the whole potential of the human being. And he, he worked initially with Jung. He was the first um, psychoanalyst in Italy who, who practiced psychoanalysis in Italy And he also went to Burghölzli in Switzerland and worked with Jung. And Jung was apparently his thesis tutor. And um, both Jung and Asajoli then turned away from Freud because they felt that Freud was very pathologizing. He studied the human nature by looking at disturbances and illnesses. And they wanted to understand the whole of the human nature. And apparently Freud wrote Asajoli that um, that he was only interested in the basement of the human building, and that's a Jolie wrote back. Um, "Well, I'm interested in the whole building, and I'm, I'll try to make an elevator so that the human being can access the whole range, all the floors of the own being. And um, his main contribution was really a spiritual context for the human being. And I think this is something very important. A context is a context. and so the here and now for a mother who holds the baby in her arm, I don't think context matters that much because all that matters is the baby and to be attuned to the baby. But on the other hand, um, in psychology, context does matter because if um, how we answer the question, who are we, most essentially, out of that answer are derived... Hundreds of other answers, what we think of education, what the purpose of education is. So, if you think that the human being is just a blank slate, yeah, and you just have to kind of put a lot of information in, that's a very different view of seeing the human being than seeing it as a being in becoming um, and observing and watching and trying to provide a facilitating environment so that what is in there can come out. Yeah, so it's a very different approach. And um, so, I think um, Ossetoli was before his time, because then in the 1950s, 1960s, with Maslow, Abraham Maslow and others, um, developed the transpersonal psychology. And the word transpersonal really is the academic word for spiritual. Um, but um, it's very important to not only look at the, the drives and the lower unconscious of the human being, but also at the, the values, the purpose, Compassion, altruism, the higher potential, and that is what um, psychosynthesis contributes.
2: Uh, I see. So it, 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 it is, as you say, it moves away from pathology and normalization um, into um, the kind of full, the fullness of life and experiencing um, life in all its aspects rather than just trying to fix little problems and put people on a coping path. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I'm putting it very well, but so i mean it I like the idea that it has a spiritual element. I mean, a lot of motherhood is spiritual, isn't it? I mean the experience of motherhood the experience of being of having a mother is also um a spiritual experience yeah. and so and so I could see a lot of application of the psychosynthesis philosophy to um enriching motherhood and, and, and helping mothers to to have fulfilling life experiences as mothers.
1: Yes. And as the Jolie said, he also spoke about spiritual motherhood. Um, so motherhood, obviously, um, the first and foremost aspect of living it is having children of your own. But he says it's also possible as educators or as carers or as um, inspirers or muses to live motherhood, and by creating, wherever you are, for whoever you are with, a facilitating and nurturing environment um, that helps you to, and that helps to connect with your own inner self, and to bring out more of the potential. And he said um, about mothers, and this is something Roxana said, I think, um, that mothers should not completely be absorbed by the mother role because first and foremost they are an individual and um, obviously in a small baby needs 100% attention from the mother that's the mother the the baby has to be the center of the universe for the mother especially in the first month but then much much later the the woman should really remember not remember but um, be aware that motherhood is one aspect of herself otherwise it often happens, doesn't it, that when the children leave the house, then the mothers are devastated. They have lost their identity. But our identity is more than just motherhood.
2: Yeah, it is a problem. And um, I think actually sending your child to nursery does help, doesn't it? Because, first of all, it creates for your child other opportunities to be cared and admired and and helped and supported um so that they're not entirely dependent upon the mother for that um but also helps the mother because she then has space to start to realize more of her own identity and her own purpose in life
1: yeah oh. but i think it has to be done at the right time and i think in the early time mother is best i i would say and it is and my mother Um, I'm the second child and she always said um, it was heartbreaking for her having to give her son the nursery because she had to go back to work. And I think as a society we should really, really create a society that um, enables mothers to stay longer with their children. And coming from a different country, coming from Austria, um, when I left Austria in 96, the job for you was held for four years as a mother. You could go back to your same job. You had this for one year. You had the same payment that you had before. So the wow. whole culture facilitated much more that mothers could stay with their children. And I think why can't we do that? You know, it, it's just we don't have the right priority of values, maybe. But that's one of the most important jobs. And if we don't, um, we can, yeah, if we don't get it right in the early years then later we will cause so many more problems at much more cost to the state and to society.
2: Yes, no, there's lots of arguments for that. And um, it doesn't happen here because this is Britain, Uh, not Austria, (laughs) is the short answer. Um, But things can
1: change, uh, can they? (laughs) (coughs)
4: If I can chip into this... um, So um, in the Czech Republic where I was born, the same conditions for mothers exist. The maternity leave can be extended to four years or you have the choice to take a lump sum, which equates to the support for the four years or two years. So the mother has a real choice about when she goes to work and how much time she wants to spend with her children. And um, I have mentioned this in conversations in Parliament, and I was just laughed at because they said this was never possible in Britain. And I was sad to see that the child and the mother are given so little consideration.
2: Yeah, there are there's definitely a cultural bias against self-sufficiency in a short-term sense. So, um, yeah, I think we see that in the way politics plays out. Um, but it is it is a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it's part of just the Anglo-Saxon world in a way because America has the same utilitarian attitude towards, um, you know, uh, mothers going back to work. Um, even I think it's even more yeah, worse uh, it's worse. it's more it's difficult worse. in the states than it is here. Um,
3: Can I add to that? please yeah. Um, I think when we look at female empowerment, the idea of trying to force a mother back into the workforce is a bit dis- it's a bit confusing because I think a real empowerment for a woman is to actually have a genuine choice. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to go back to work as early as you may feel like it's right, but there is something wrong with not having a choice. And I think that's, that would be the real empowerment um, for women.
4: But also, I think we should look at different models of childcare. The nursery education model is only a 20th century phenomenon. It was not there in the 19th century. And extended family and communities... Still, in some parts of the world, take care of the mother and of the baby, so that um, different members within the community can can fulfil the role. So this role of motherhood is shared more widely and gives the child the rich experience of life that is that can be very very beneficial. And that we try to recreate through nursery education like uh, creating a phenomenally narrow model focused towards education only, forgetting the so emotional and social aspect of the child's life. Yeah. So it is, it is not a problem we are going to resolve through this conversation, <laughs> but um, I think it's worthwhile mentioning that some of the challenges of motherhood that we face today um, are part of the evolution of the Western culture. And uh, there are still communities from which we could learn how to do mothering and parenting and caring for children in a better way.
2: I think the challenge in Britain is is that politics is very reductionist. So everything reduces to an economic question in the end. You know, the only way they'll finance... Uh, Childcare, as if then you know the government says, "Well, we get more taxes back through mothers returning to work, that kind of thing." Um, However, whereas actually, <laughs> all the other aspects of of the question are, are are secondary in in this culture
1: anyway. But I mean, even economically speaking, it's um, it's very short term thinking because it costs so much more later on to fix, in inverted commas, things, um, mental health issues amongst young people are rising through the roof. I've been working in schools and um, I've never seen anything like this after these two years of pandemic now. And the the amount of self-harm and anxieties and um, many other things is really very sad. Plus, I I think one in four takes um, antidepressants in Britain. So all these Takes and then NHS is constantly overworked. We don't have enough therapists and enough facilities to pay for all that. It would be much better to give women that choice at the beginning. And I would even argue already when they are pregnant, because we know a stressed pregnant woman transmits something to her baby already. And I've seen mothers working a week before they give birth because they have to and because of calculating the maternity leave, it seemed to be the best option. But they were so, so stressed and i've actually seen in one case the children afterwards and i always related some issues that i could see in the children to the very stressful pregnancy of the mother
2: oh that's interesting so what to get more specific what aspects of motherhood are have this beneficial effect if it's a healthy mothering relationship what aspects of it have the most benefit to society? Is it just the being present and being there with the child? Is it, um, as Barbara said at, at one point earlier, the the language, you know, the being able to hear firsthand and participate firsthand in family conversations and meaningful exchanges. So are in your experience, Sabine, are there particular aspects of the mother-child relationship that that really help in the long term?
1: I think it's if the mother is able to be fully present because um, she's looked after either by society, by her husband or the extended family to free her from the external pressures um, and then she can be attuned to the baby. This attunement is so important. And it's really, it's speak of a mother-baby diet. (laughs) So it's like two beings becoming or still being one and I think this is so important. A stressed mother can't do that. Um, and then, a bit later, um, the mother has to the, the mother has to see the potential in the child, not project onto the baby what she wants the baby to become. That would be another pitfall of motherhood. That I want, you know, a, a doctor, a musician, or whatever. So, a mother has to see in a kind of curious way, the potential of her child and just facilitates that it comes out. And at the same time, um, as Acholi says, she's also the one who enables the child to connect with the most brutal elements with beauty with the sacred with symbolic um, developing the imagination allowing the child to develop inner life I can see so many children which are constantly stimulated from outside and they don't have inner life they cannot be by themselves anymore they cannot just play by themselves because they've never learned how to do that they're really waiting to be stimulated from outside and then we have ADHD rising for instance you know where they're constantly changing and um, a lot of activity has to happen um, I think it's all connected.
2: Yeah, I can see I can see it around in the young people that I know that there's you can see the product of, of the modern lifestyle with both parents working virtually, you know, within a couple of months after birth and um being passed around from nanny to daycare center. And you kind of it's quite Obvious what the consequences are when you look at young people and how they are today, how nervous they are and how insecure and how unsure of who they are and what they're about mm. um, it's it's a big challenge, but certainly looking at motherhood as a way of beginning to fix it um, I think would would bring a lot of benefits to society on every level so how does um Early motherhood compared to later phases of motherhood, in from a psychological point of view, I mean, um, we had the lovely experiences of Roxana um, telling us about what it's like to be a new mum. As the child grows up, and especially when they get into the dreaded teenage years, um, the role of the mother changes, doesn't it? So, yes. what what are the what are the things to um, to draw um, mother's attention to as the child matures and starts to become their own person.
1: I think it's so different and it's really very hard again for both mothers and fathers because in adolescence, a child, a young person changes so quickly. There are rapid changes going on. And to keep up with these changes and to expand the, the boundaries. Boundaries are absolutely necessary. And I think we have even thrown out boundaries with the bathwater by reacting against too much of a Victorian education, which was very restrictive and very repressive. And now it's sometimes it's almost too much freedom. Um, So boundaries have to be there, but especially with adolescent children, um, they have to grow with them. And that can be very hard because it happens so quickly. And um, again, I think it might bring back in both parents the their own adolescents, you know, how they were, um, and their own buttons, like buttons are getting pushed um, and then it can lead to quite a lot of disharmony and in, in the family. It's a, it's a very interesting process and I know mothers who said, um, I, I took time off to be there for my adolescent children because that's when they need me a lot. I uh, thought so that was wise as well. So we think only the little ones need the mother, but actually um, teen- teenage children, they need their mothers as well.
2: Yes. Yes. Do you think that's more true of mothers of girls than mothers of boys, or it's the same?
1: I think it's the same, but um, boys obviously also need a very strong paternal image, a, a paternal presence to yeah. find their own role model. Yeah. Both girls also need the father, yeah. Yes, so at that yes, age, really. both are very important, really equally important.
2: Yes, Barbara, can you reflect on the different stages of motherhood as relates to education?
4: Um, I think that it, in response uh, to Sabine's um, explanation, it all all goes down to the mother continuing to be available, but you are available to the teenager in a very different way to what, how you are available to the baby. So the baby needs lots of your physical presence and uh, uh, arrang- arranging things for them so that they can have that freedom. Whereas as, as uh, the child who is... Um, encouraged to be independent from very early years grows more um in in the capacity to evaluate um, intellectual freedom and think for themselves and organize their life then with the adolescents in a way they only speak or they seek opportunities to connect with the mother or the father um at unusual times and uh if one if the mother or the father is not available at that moment, that opportunity is missed and it may not come again. So the physical presence, but in the in really in the shadows, to be there when needed is it's and it has to be much more intuitive. That's why it, what makes it much more difficult for the parents. Um, I know that lots of parents and also myself, the most useful times for conversation for me when the children were in the car on long journeys because you have captured them in this physical space. Uh, And there was a monotony to it which allowed them to reflect for themselves and relax because there was nothing else to do. Um, So um, I I found those invaluable. And the other thing that I found very helpful as a parent was walking the dog. When, When we were able to go for a walk with the dog somehow the attention was given to the dog and allowed the space for the two humans to connect. It's really, really interesting um, dynamic, but I think that teenagers really need that. And they also are not interested in the parents' opinion for most of the time. So sometimes keeping... Your Opinions to yourself, thinking them without voicing them is much more helpful um, for the adolescent. But the adolescent hearing what the adolescent is saying allows you to measure the level of trust and uh, capacity of the teenager to act on their own and to. Act in the right way. You have to have enormous trust in the children that you have brought up as teenagers, that they will make the right decision when it really matters, and that is really, really difficult. I, I can't, I can't describe it, uh, but you know well, that. Well,
2: you've described it well. Yes, no, I understand. I think we all know, having been teenagers ourselves, we all know that the challenges of that of that time and another challenge that comes in then especially for women is that their that her own parents or maybe her in-laws are also starting to need care and attention more just at the time when your own when your children are you know hitting adolescence or young adulthood and um so you know, the poor mother's attention becomes divided yet again because although career may not be pulling her, or it may be as well, then she's, you know, as soon as the young ones start to become self-sufficient, then the older ones start to become more dependent. So um, <laughs> it's it's a challenge all around. Um, how does motherhood, in, in your experience, Sabine, affect a woman's relationship with her own mother?
1: I think our relationship with our own mothers is um, is what we know and what we have kind of um, soaked up in our children and so we are more likely to pass on what we know and have experienced ourselves. But again, um, sometimes coming from a very difficult background, we can co- compensate We say, okay, not like this. I want to, to make it different, I, I want to do it differently. And it can really work beautifully as well. But I think it's very important to have a good relationship with your own mother. It helps. Also, it helps then being the grandmother, you know. (laughs) Um, The better your relationship with your own mother, then the more support you will have with your own children.
2: I don't think I've met a grandmother who didn't have a strong opinion about how her daughter or um, (laughs) daughter-in-law was raising the children. So... um, It's a it's a delicate, a delicate balance on both sides, I'm sure. But yes, I I think ultimately children grow up with the values of their parents. Almost they can't help it really, because as you say, it's what they know, it's what's been planted in them at an early stage. And they can either use it as a model or they can use it as an anti-model, you know, what not to do.
1: And what is uh, really interesting is that sometimes they react against it, and then let's say in the 20s, they're totally anti the values of the parents, and then when they become parents, suddenly it's like a continuation <laughs> of yeah, their own yeah. parents' values. It's really funny. I've often noticed that, yeah.
2: And when, and when the middle-aged parents, um, their own parents pass on, they sometimes take on the characteristics of the one who's lost. So it, it's, it seems to be, a, um, at least in the people we know, that sometimes if a, a grandparent um, it, it dies, then the, the middle-aged parent then almost becomes like them. It's almost they, they can't deal with the world which doesn't have them. And so they fill in that part of the world themselves. Um, I'm sure you've seen that sort of syndrome.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been- yeah I think it's a generational thing, isn't it as well there's some there are other forces in us, not just our individual forces there are um deeper ones which are more collective i would say and I think you're describing it well there's a space that needs to be filled and we step up and again, we do what we know from our own parents
2: yeah when does when does a mother become a matriarch um and I don't mean, you know, um, just having a lot of ch- children and family around, but, you know, sort of someone to be deferred to, you know, someone who's obviously the leader of the pack, um, is that a healthy thing? I mean, it does happen quite a lot. Um,
1: it depends. I think if, um, if, you, if you have accumulated a lot of wisdom our own life experiences then, then it's a very positive thing and I think people will turn to a matriarch for advice and even just someone to speak to and who listens um, with a kind heart and um, I don't know what the word matriarch evolves in English, but it can maybe also show a shadow side, you know, kind of ruling the rules, and it's all in my way and no other <laughs> way. Um, that would be the shadow side. But I think um, there's a lot of wisdom that we accumulate. And unfortunately now, by parents living away from, the, from their own parents, and because of the Industrial Revolution, you know, there's, the families don't stay in the same place anymore. Um, there's a kind of lack of the transmission of this wisdom and um, it would be beautiful if there were more togetherness, I think, in families and the, the generations would have a lot of time to spend together and that wisdom could be passed on.
2: So um, there's famous relationships in in Freudian psychology about mothers and sons in particular and um, also the archetypes in Jungian philosophy. What's the comparative um, icons about motherhood in in, um, psychosynthesis?
1: I think it's much more in the Jungian way um, that there are two kind of archetypes or two principles, the feminine principle, the masculine principle, and part of the feminine principle is motherhood. And um, motherhood can also be expressed by fathers. If the mother dies, the father has to step up and... Mothers can also then play the father's role, vice versa. Um, As a Jolie would always say, we are first and foremost a human being, um, and we can choose to play any role if we need to and want to. Um, so we are not limited by roles or by, by our gender or sex, etc. Um, But um, so it's more archetypes. And I think um, it's important that's what As a also said it's that these two are different. I think one thing that gets eroded more and more in our society is it's all the same. Yeah, there's no difference. It's just a social construct. And um, both Jung and Asitoli would say, no, they're complementary principles. And the problem is if you don't give the same value to both of them, but they're complementary and they're needed.
2: Right. Um, So, yeah, going back to what you were saying about a balance and, and an integration, that they're both necessary but not... Equally appreciated is what leads to problems when they're exactly not e- yeah yeah.
1: And yeah. I think the role of the mother is really underappreciated in our society, and it is one of the most important jobs ever.
2: Absolutely, um, Barbara. How, how do the Montessori, as it's most conventionally practiced, how do how does the Montessori community regard the role of the mother? Um, sometimes you get the feeling, and particularly where there's a A classroom full of teachers who are not themselves mothers you get the feeling that oh the mother she's just a kind of she delivers the child to us and then she pesters us once a term with a parent evening Um, (laughs) so uh, what's what's the healthy relationship to the mother Uh, specifically the mother not um, both parents but what's the healthy relationship between the educator and the mother
4: I think that the most important thing in that relationship is the respect for the mother as the who, someone who knows the child the best. The mother may not always acknowledge all she knows about her child, because sometimes you feel the truth, but don't you don't want to hear it. Um, so I think that being always respectful of the mother's views and patient and supportive of the mother because what has happened in the last 10 years uh, when speaking to nursery owners and teachers, the parents have used the earliest educators as a soundboard in a way as they may have used a um, an aunt in a, a communal way of living or in an extended family. So if the relation is, relationship is positive and respectful, the mothers will go for guidance to the teachers, and the teachers are then able to really illustrate the picture of the child uh, in a positive way, uh, which is, I think, is very much our role. Not to highlight the negative elements, but to really celebrate what the very young child achieves, because these are all very early days. And the mothers who often come to us, come to us because they are troubled by their children's behaviour, and demonstrating to the mother that there is something unique about her child will give her strength and belief in the potential of her child and will enable her to find the strength to support that child effectively and may help her to understand what the inner life of her child is. Because Montessori herself talked about the inner life of the child. It's something very nebulous. It's extremely difficult to um, Describe because it will be different uh, for every child. But every life, every child has got some inner elements, the spirit of that child, which we as educators need to get to know in order to be able to support the family in uh, sharing the burden of bringing those children up. Because that is the reality of today. Nursery education supports the family in helping to parent that child, not only educate, but to give them the social values and uh, the beliefs of positive life to encourage their curiosity, to encourage their creativity. And that's what we should really do when we relate to the mothers in our community.
0: Okay, I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you again to Barbara and David and to our guests Roxana and Sabine. Um, Please join us next time for the next episode of My Montessori Life.